illumina faciem tuam super sanctuarium tuum. Let the light of thy face shine upon thy sanctuary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Pharisee, who makes a kind of cameo appearance in the first part of today's Gospel, He's a sympathetic chap. There's something very winning about him. We tend, I suppose, to think of the Pharisees as being obstreperous men always looking for an argument. But there were among the Pharisees men truly seeking the kingdom of God. Paul himself was a Pharisee, was he not? And I'm struck by the sincerity of this, I suppose him to be a young man. The sincerity of this young Pharisee who puts a question to Jesus. The Gospel says ten times eum, tempting him, but the word means trying him. There was, I think, deep in the heart of this Pharisee a desire to know who Jesus is. And so he puts the question to our Lord, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Now he puts this question to our Lord because the Pharisees believed that the law was the means given by God by which man could relate to God rightly. This is justice being in a rightly ordered relationship with God and with one another. I don't think the Pharisee in the first part of the Gospel had wicked intentions. I don't think he was laying a kind of snare for our Lord, because there is a ring of sincerity about his question. And our Lord answers him, and I can almost hear the accent of our Lord's voice, full of sympathy and looking into the soul of this man, reading his deepest thoughts and seeing that this man, in effect, wants more than anything else to be right with God. And so I hear a certain sympathy in our Lord's response. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart. Now, when our Lord pronounces a word, 
at the same time that word becomes efficacious. When our Lord speaks, he works by his word an infusion of grace. This is more than a kind of learned discussion. This is an exchange that I see taking place between the heart of Jesus and the heart of this Pharisee. And our Lord says to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart. And in saying this, it seems to me that our Lord touched his heart. And with thy whole soul, soul is that part of the constitution of man by which a man feels and makes sense of what he feels, that by which he interprets the phenomena taken in by his senses and responds to them, with thy whole soul, and in saying these words, our Lord touched his soul, or so it seems to me, and with thy whole mind, and in saying these words, our Lord illumined this good man's mind. This, our Lord goes on to say, is the greatest of the first commandment. And the second is like to this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments dependeth the whole law and the prophets. And then something very curious happens. Did you notice it in the gospel? The conversation ends. And this seeker, this right-thinking Pharisee just seems to disappear. Did he step back to ponder in his heart the answer Jesus had given him? It seems to me that he did. He must have been deeply satisfied by our Lord's answer. He must have taken to heart our Lord's words. I hear in the intro of today's Mass, the prayer of this Pharisee, after having reflected upon the teaching, the response given him by Jesus, I hear him saying, Thou art just, O Lord. I would have him say, in fact, Justus es Domine. Jesu. Thou art just, O Lord Jesus, and thy judgment, the judgment thou hast just given me in thy answer, and thy judgment is right. This must have been a very, a moment of illumination and of liberation for this Pharisee. And I hear him going on to say, in the words of the introit, deal with thy servant according to thy mercy. 
we have here a kind of paradigm of all prayer. This young Pharisee, first of all, approaches Jesus. He's drawn to the person of Jesus. Does not our Lord say, no one comes to me unless the Father draw him? And how does the Father draw souls to the Son? By means of the Holy Ghost. The beckoning dextre dei digitus, the finger of God's right hand. By the operation of the Holy Ghost, the Father draws souls to the person of the Son. This is, I suppose, what theologians call prevenient grace. The grace by which it is given us to make that first step in response to grace. And so the Pharisee is drawn to the person of Jesus. All prayer begins in this way. People have the wrong idea about prayer. They think that somehow prayer is something, well, it's my initiative. Prayer is always a response. Prayer is always the touch of God, the finger of God's right hand, beckoning, summoning, drawing us into divine intimacy. And so the Pharisee is drawn to Jesus, attracted to him, and puts this question to him to test him, which is a way of saying he wants to find out who Jesus really is. And so he engages him. And he puts the question. Very often, our prayer begins with questions. We're drawn to our Lord and quieted in his presence. All sorts of things rise to the surface. And we find ourselves saying, why, Lord? How, Lord? When, Lord? By what means, Lord? These questions are the beginning of a real conversation, a dialogue with our Lord. And so never fear to begin your prayer by putting a question to our Lord. And our Lord answers with such sympathy, with such condescending love, not in the, in the negative sense of condescending, but he, he meets this man at the level of his question. And our Lord, in answering his question, works in this man secretly and efficaciously because his word is always an infusion of grace in the soul that receives it. And so I heard the intro into the Mass in the mouth of this Pharisee as he steps back and allows others to put their questions to our Lord. Thou art just, O Lord Jesus, and thy judgment is right. Deal with thy servant 
according to thy mercy. So all of this in some ways, in the first part of the Gospel, and in the intro it. The collect today is remarkable. Um, it begins right away with the punchline. Most of the Roman collects begin with a form of address, Deus, or uh, Almighty and Living God. Not so today. There's an urgency about the collect because it begins straight away with a petition. Think of this in, in our own exchanges. Normally, when we ask something of another person, we address the person first. But if the object of our petition is really urgent, we ask for what we need without any kind of preparation or formula. We just get to the point. And so does the church pray in today's collect. Grant, O Lord, unto thy people grace. The translation of the Missal doesn't quite get it right. The Missal has to withstand the temptations of the devil. Diabolica vitare contagia. To avoid the contagion. Diabolical contagion. This is a realistic prayer. It's the prayer of the Church, who is aware of everything that is coming at her from all directions. And so the Church asks that we may avoid diabolical contagion. Make no mistake about it. The world is full of diabolical contagion. And then there is this petition, et te solum deum. How beautiful that is. Puramente sectari. And with pure minds to follow after thee, which means to keep on seeking thee. the only God. This collect has, has two parts. In the first part, we ask for the grace to avoid diabolical contagion, which is all around us. And in the second part, we ask for pure minds, because the pure mind sees rightly. The pure mind can see the road that opens before us, by which we can make our way to God. So when we ask for a pure mind, we're always asking for the grace to see clearly, to see rightly. So we have that in the collect. The, the epistle has St. Paul, in some ways speaking to all of us, dear sons, brethren, I beseech you that you work worthy of the vocation in which you are called. It's almost as if St. Paul is sitting in the chapter room and addressing us. With all humility and mildness, with patience, supporting one another in charity. K. 
careful to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is a monastic instruction, really. And the second part of the gospel, really, uh, one could divide this gospel into two. Um, the second part has our Lord putting his question uh, to these learned men who have gathered around him. And this is an extraordinary text because it is our Lord revealing to us the meaning of Psalm 109, which Psalm holds such a prominent and significant place in the liturgy of the church. There was a time in Christendom when everyone on Sunday went not only to Mass, but also to Vespers. And Sunday Vespers always begins with Psalm 109. And Psalm 109 would have been one of those psalms that all Catholics knew by heart, from having heard it sung Sunday after Sunday, and festival after festival at Vespers. And our Lord, in fact, unpacks Psalm 109 for us. He puts a question. He says to them, How then doth David, in spirit, understand by this, in the Holy Spirit, the spirit, uh, the divine author of the Psalms, how then doth David, in spirit, no one can say Jesus is Lord, says St. Paul, except by the Holy Spirit. How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Generally, a father does not address his son as Lord. Son may address the father as Lord. But the father, the son, no. And so our Lord says, How then doth David, the father, in spirit, call him Lord, call the Messiah, the Christ Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And I just picture the Pharisees kind of pulling on their beards, scratching their heads and saying, Well, he got us there. And not knowing what to answer. And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. This evening at Vespers, uh, this text of the Gospel will be given us as the Magnificat Antiphon, and treated with a magnificent melody that brings the text to life and just pulls the meaning out of it. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at, thine, at my right hand. The Eternal Father speaking to his Christ. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool in the triumph of thy resurrection. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, and thou shalt rule in the midst of thine enemies. Christ, the King, in the glory of his resurrection, in the triumph of the ascension. 
Thine shall be the dominion in the day of thy power, amid the brightness of the saints. From the womb before the day star have I begotten thee. This sends us right to the prologue of St. John, in the beginning was the word, that we shall read at the end of Holy Mass. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, he will not go back on what he has said. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In this one little verse, all of the theology of Christ given in the epistle to the Hebrews is brought forward. Christ, King, Christ, Priest. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. Prophecy of the second coming of Christ in glory. He shall drink of the brook in the way. The brook signifies the passion of Christ. All of the bitter sufferings from that moment when he left the Senegal and crossed the Kedron Valley and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. There began his bitter passion. He shall drink of the brook on the way and then the resurrection. Therefore shall he lift up his head. Our Lord gave us the key to understanding Psalm 109. I could say much more about this, but I want to say one last thing about the offertory antiphon, which is very uh, special for us at Silverstream Priory, because the motto in our monastic coat of arms comes from the offertory antiphon of today's Mass. It's a remarkably beautiful piece. Uh, Daniel prophet is praying. I, Daniel, pray to my God, saying, Hear, O Lord, the prayers of thy servant. Illumina faciem tuam super sanctuarium tuum. Let the light of thy face shine upon thy sanctuary. That is the phrase that you will find on our monastic coat of arms. Because for us, uh, the light of the face of Christ shines upon the sanctuary by means of the Most Holy Sacrament of the altar. This shining obscurely in some way, when the sacred host is hidden away in the tabernacle, and shining in a more evident way, I suppose, when the sacred host is exposed to our gaze in the monstrance. This sanctuary is filled with the light of the face of Christ. And favorably look down upon this people upon whom thy name is invoked, O God. When we sing this antiphon today at the offertory of the Mass, um, allow the words to sink in, to soak into your hearts, especially this central phrase, Illumina faciem tuam super sanctuarium tuum. And I will end with this. We go now to the altar, and at the moment of the consecration, Christ becoming 
truly present in the sacred host and in the chalice containing his precious blood makes his face to shine upon us. Oh, if only we had eyes to see the blaze of glory that shines out from the altar in every Holy Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.